Well, again, good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Kayla. Uh, We are so excited that you've decided to join us today at Hershey Free. My name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and we're just really excited that you've joined us today. We are in a series that we are calling Love This Book. Um, If you haven't been here before or you're kind of coming back after maybe some time away, this is a a series that we are doing church-wide. Actually, a lot of people from our church have actually worked dedicatedly to put together a devotional guide as well. We have them both in print that you can pick up outside. We also have them online at hfcinfo.com where you can get the full PDF version along with sermon notes um, and other helpful resources that we have available to you on that website. So if you want to follow along, you're looking for sermon notes, maybe you didn't grab one as you came in, you can just head over to hfcinfo.com right now and you can find all that information right there for you. Today we are in the book of Ephesians, specifically we'll be looking at Ephesians 3 as well as part of Ephesians 2. But before we even get into that, I kind of want to pose a question to you. And the question is this, how do you rest? If you thought about that for a moment, what, what does rest look like? for you. I think if we, if we took a poll in this room right now, or we took a poll online, uh, we would realize that for many of us, rest looks different, right? For maybe some of us, like after a long day of work or school or, or just life in general, right? Maybe coming home, rest for you looks like binge watching all the seasons of The Mandalorian, right? We don't know. I'm just saying, you know, maybe it's true confessions with Nick time. I don't know. But like, or maybe, maybe like your, your method of rest is you come home after like a crazy busy day and your method is like, hey, I just need to sit in my car for 30 minutes with no interruptions, no noise, no nothing, just sit here and pause. Or maybe, maybe your version of rest is you love to go for a run or you love to work out. I don't understand that. I work in student ministry. My workout is like hand to mouth. Like that's what I do. It's like pizza, chips, candy to mouth. I do arm curls daily and it's just this. And it's fantastic. I get my workout in every single day. I promise you that. But like we all have different forms of rest or maybe, maybe for you, rest is like getting a good solid eight hours of sleep uninterrupted where you hit REM and you stay there. Like you're, you're the type of person who twitches like a, like a cat or a dog. Because like you're in the midst of that dream and you were chasing after that, that, that cake or whatever it may be, right? But like that's, that's what rest is. But have you ever noticed how we keep needing it? Like that's the crazy thing with rest. Have you ever noticed like even with sleep, like try as hard as we, as we may, like we will eventually need it. Like it's a beautiful thing. I, I try to tell students all the time, like naps and sleeping are your best friend. Like, I love my Sunday afternoon naps. Like, I'm going to go home. I'm going to crash hard today. It's going to be fantastic. I'm going to put on the Big Ten, and I'm going to watch the end of their, their basketball tournament, and I'm going to be out by the second quarter or the second half. Like, I promise you, I'm out. But, like, here's the thing, right? Like, we keep coming back to it. We keep needing it. Like, I guarantee you, because we lost an hour of sleep, we're going to be home tonight, and we're going to want sleep bad. We're going to want rest. But have you ever thought about why that is? Like why we continually need it? I think the reality comes to the fact like, that we're broken people in a broken world trying to meet an eternal need with temporary things. Like I think all, all the things that we pursue for rest, like they're eventually going to fail us. That's why we have to keep going back and back and back. 
today as we kind of walk through this passage in the book of Ephesians, I think it's healthy for us to understand what rest really should look like and how we actually do that. You see, because I, I believe the only way that we can fully rest and be refreshed is by this, is by knowing, by knowing that you are deeply loved and wrapped in the grace of God. The only way that we will experience full, complete, holistic rest is actually by allowing for God to permeate our lives in a very real and powerful way. It's by allowing the, the, the love and the grace of God to just envelop you and bring you into this amazing, restful relationship with him. But I think in even talking about rest in this way, we, we used a word in here, we used the word grace. And like a lot of times, like we come to church and we use language that we assume everybody knows, right? We have this thing called Christianese and we assume that everybody understands what we're talking about. And we use words like grace or redemption or transubstantiation and people are like, I have no idea what you're talking about, right? And it's like, so it's important to actually define what we're looking at. And so when we talk about grace, I thought, you know what, I'm going to do whatever I can to help explain what grace is. And so I did what most people do. I Googled it. And I went to Google, and this is what I found. I kid you not, this was Google de Google's definition. The unmerited divine assistance given to humans for their regeneration or sanctification. Now, here's the thing. This is a great definition. But I'm a big fan of when I'm looking to define a word, I shouldn't have to define the definition of the word I'm looking to define. Okay, I'm just saying, like, there are other words in here that I'm going, mm, unmerited. That's a great word. Regeneration, sanctification. I'm like, good job, Google. Thanks, Merriam-Webster. You failed us, right? So I was like, okay, I'm going to keep looking because there has to be an easier way to understand grace than forcing people to pull out a dictionary and a thesaurus to try to figure out what this means, right? And so I kept digging. I pulled out some more resources in my office. I talked to smarter people like Pastor George, and I went further into Google's like trenches. And I was like, okay, what do we got? And here's what I found. Check this out. This is what grace is. God's favor and love towards the unworthy. Simple to the point, and yet profound. It's God's grace. God's grace is favor and love towards the unworthy. Essentially saying that God looks at us because all of us are unworthy. And he goes, I love you so much. I'm going to give you love you don't deserve, you couldn't earn. And I'm going to give this love to you freely. But then there's this word favor, Right? It's not just that God loves us. No, he elevates us and brings us into his family. And he says, you are a part of my family. You are a part of my lineage, a part of my royal family. You are part of me. God's grace towards us is that he gives us love and favor when we never deserved it. This morning, we're going to be looking at Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21, which is what Bob read for us just a few moments ago. And in this passage, Paul is going to show us exactly what grace looks like for us. He's going to highlight for us the outworkings of grace through a prayer that he prays for the church in Ephesus 
and as well as for us. And check this out. This is what Paul says. He writes, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love, this love that surpasses, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we, than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Paul is praying this prayer for the church in Ephesus. He's praying this, this prayer for believers. And in this passage, like Paul, Paul, this is such a rich prayer that is steeped with truth about who we are and what God is calling us to. And Paul is praying this prayer and he's like, look, here, I want you to understand what I'm doing for you. And he kind of highlights a few different points that he wants us to understand when it comes to who we are in Christ, when it comes to understanding this grace, this love, this, this favor that God extends towards us. I believe this is what Paul highlights in his prayer for us, and it's this. First of all, he wants us to be strengthened. In fact, if you go back to verse 16, Paul prays this. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, out of God's glorious riches, that God may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul is talking to the church. I think Paul is acutely aware that at times, for followers of Jesus, it's hard sometimes to remember the grace that God gives to us. It's hard at times to follow him. Because a lot of times, like, we try to do things ourselves. Like our, our culture tells us, man, like if you just put your nose to the grindstone, if you just believe in yourself, you can do anything. I will have you know that's not true. There are certain things I cannot do and should never do. I should never operate on you. I'm just going to be honest. There are doctors in this room and they are nodding in agreement because they've seen me put a Band-Aid on somebody before and they're like, mm-mm, mm-mm. Right? I mean, that's why I have nurses on my volunteer team with students. It's just reality. Like, it's not me. Right? I'm not an engineer. I will never be an engineer. My dad is. I've tried to track what he does. I have no idea what that dude does. That's just the reality. But our culture would say, but you can do it if you just go to school and do it. I will have you know, I will never become a physician. I will never be somebody who operates on you. And you should praise God daily for that right? But like the reality is there are moments when we try to do things on our own, when we try to believe that, you know what, no matter what I do, I can earn it. And sometimes we even think about that in terms of our salvation. We think that if we just do more things correctly, if we just follow all the rules, if we show up to church on time, even on daylight savings time, right? And we get another checkbook in the book of life that God has up in heaven that he's like some reason like cosmically tracking our lives and going, mm, one too many mistakes, right? And Paul goes, no, do you understand? 
that the grace of God is designed to strengthen you when you can't do it on your own because you can't do it on your own? And Paul's first part of his prayer is that we are strengthened. That we are challenged and encouraged by the fact that we don't have to do it on our own. But then he prays just a moment later in verse 17, he prays for, for God to dwell within our hearts. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I think Paul is acutely aware that even in church gatherings, that there are people who have not maybe embraced the grace that God gives to us. And I think Paul's purpose here is to let people know, like, do you understand the love of God? Do you understand that God is calling you into a relationship with him to to experience this grace, to have this rest that you've never had before? And he's saying, maybe you've shown up to this gathering often. You've participated. You're in a group. That's fantastic. But have you embraced the grace that God bestows upon you? And he goes, my prayer is that you fully experience that. That Christ dwells within your hearts. And not only that, that you are rooted and established in that love. Paul's prayer isn't just that you know God. But that he is your everything. That he guides your every moment. He guides your every step. And he's saying, look, my prayer is that you aren't rooted in all the things in this world that change and ebb and flow and try to conflict with your, your values and what I'm calling you to. But instead, that you are rooted and established in the love of God, the grace of God, the very blessing that he gives to you. Paul's prayer is that we are strengthened, that Christ dwells within us, that we are rooted, but also that we know the depth of God's love. In verse 18, Paul writes that you may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of God. I think Paul's purpose in saying it in that way, like if you've you've read through Paul's epistles, like Paul doesn't usually mince words. Like he's not one of those guys that just uses a word by happenstance. He chooses them very specifically. And I think Paul understands that our humanity at times leads us to question whether God's love is good enough. We may not use those terms. We may go, yeah, but you don't know my past the mistakes I've made. You don't know who I currently am, the lie I'm living, the hypocrisy in my life. And we love to throw out these excuses. And God goes, but my love is greater than. You fill in the blank. Paul goes, the height, the depth, the width, the length. He goes, That love from God is a beautiful picture of how it just covers anything that you could pull out to say, but, and God goes, "Uh uh-uh, but my love is greater than. Paul wants us to know the depth of God's love, that it covers a multitude of things, everything we could ever dream of. And God goes, do you understand the love I have for you, the grace I showed you? This love... This love is greater than anything you could ever try to use to detract it. 
my love will overwhelm anything you try to put up as a barrier because my love is greater than anything else. And then he lastly, he prays for us to be filled with the fullness of God in verse 19. He says, and for you to know the love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure with all the fullness of God. I, I may not be the brightest person, but it's really hard sometimes to think about love that surpasses knowledge. Right? Because we, we are a very learned society. We are very well educated. We have a lot of knowledge. And I think what Paul is getting at here is like, when everything else fails, when there is no logical reason why God should love you, he still does. When you can't rationalize it, when you can't qualify it or quantify it, God goes, my love is still there. When you don't understand it, his love's still there. When you think you're unworthy of it, his love's still there. When you think everybody, including God, has forgotten about you, he's still there loving you. Paul's point in this prayer is like, do you understand the love, the grace that God bestows upon you? I think sometimes it's easy to assume that everybody does. It's easy to assume that everybody in this room watching online, that we all understand the grace and the love of God. But the reality is there are probably people in this room online right now who don't. There are probably some of you in this room right now who have made a profession of faith to follow Jesus. But for some reason, you're still trying to earn that. For some reason, you you think that you still have some moral obligation to prove yourself to God. If I just do, you fill in the blank, God will love me more. If I just do these things and not these things, maybe it will pay for my past mistakes and maybe my future ones, right? Like there's this weird scale that God has for us, right? Or maybe there could be people here this morning who are going, you know what, I've never experienced this. I come to this church because they've got really good coffee. I like the coffee. Every now and then they got snacks too. It's great. Especially if you go to groups. A lot of the groups got food. It's good stuff. But like, there are people here who probably have never experienced that grace because there are things that are keeping us from understanding it, keeping us from doing it because maybe we're we're hesitant because of our past and our present. Maybe we think we're just not good enough for God. Maybe we think his grace, his grace can't cover what I've done. But I want to pull your attention back a little bit. One chapter in this book. Because in chapter two in the book of Ephesians, Paul builds out just what this grace is. This is the grace that has defined the prayer that he just prayed over us. And this is what Paul says in Ephesians 2. But because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. For it is by grace you have been saved. 
And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I believe this is one of the most powerful passages that the Apostle Paul has ever penned. Because if you notice in this passage, Paul goes, it's not what you've done, what you do, or what you will do. It's by grace alone. He goes, I have paid the price. You don't have to. I have covered you. You don't have to worry about that. He's going, all you have to do is to say, I want in to experience this rest, this grace in abundance. And to know what it's like to have life that never fades. Paul's heart for the world is that they experience the love and the grace and the favor of God. But this grace that God offers us, I want us to be aware of this. That grace isn't just something that you experience at the moment you follow Jesus. Grace is an ongoing effect that continues as we follow Jesus and sustains us in that faith. Because I'm going to be brutally honest with you. Even as followers of Jesus, we mess up. We fail. We are broken and sinful people. And just like that definition of grace, unworthy... We are unworthy. But by the grace of God, we're called family. As we understand this grace, as we understand that God is standing there extending us a free gift saying this is all you need to do is reach out and take it. We have to understand that this grace compels us to do something. Actually a few things. And I believe this is what grace compels us to do. First, grace compels us to rest in the love of God. Some of you here today, watching online, you're carrying really heavy stuff. Stuff that keeps you up at night. Stuff that when you wake up in the morning, it occupies your thoughts. Some of you are are just feeling overwhelmed and burdened by by the stresses of this world. The anxieties that come with with living in in a culture like ours. And the reality is this is that that grace compels you to find your rest in the love of God. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21 is a really important passage to make. This time last year, I actually wasn't here. I was on a leave of absence for three months because I was struggling with with mental health 
emotional health and spiritual health. And a friend of mine on staff gave me a book, and they said, hey, you should read this book. I got through the introduction. Because at the end of the introduction, they ended with Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. And the author said, did you read this verse? Now read it again. What's your obligation in this relationship? Because that passage says, to God, who can do immeasurably immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. To his power that is at work in and through us. Did you notice that we aren't doing anything? That's the power of God, the grace of God. When I tell you that it took me two more months to pick that book back up because that wrecked me so hard, that's the truth. Because I think when we understand that like, our salvation isn't based upon who we are or what we present, but instead is based upon the free gift of grace, all of a sudden we can breathe a sigh of release. Because we go, it's not on me anymore. I don't have to prove myself to God. I don't have to pretend like I'm squeaky clean anymore. I can come in my raw and broken state. When I finally understood that, I finally slept for more than a couple hours. And it's a beautiful thing when you rest in the grace and the love of God. But it's not just that it it compels us to rest in the love of God, it also compels us to release control and to trust God. And Bob led us in a prayer just a few moments ago of, of release, right? And maybe you're like me, you love control. I love to try to control everything in my life. I believe that when I'm driving, and don't you dare tell me I'm wrong, I believe when I'm driving, I'm controlling how everybody else drives. Because I don't trust them enough not to cross that double yellow, right? I hate roller coasters, and when you ask why, and when I'm actually honest about it, it's because I have no stinking control, and you're telling me this little seatbelt is going to keep me safe as we go upside down at 70 miles per hour? You're nuts, right? Or you've got the little ones, like my favorite is the little one that clink right here, no seatbelt, no shoulder strap, and they're like, you're safe. You're full of garbage. I'm going to die. This is how I meet Jesus. I know. That's why I just don't go on them. I'm not ready yet, okay? And it's like, but like the reality is like, I love to be in control. I love to have that, that, that control over every moment of every day. And the reality of grace is this, is that we aren't. And praise God, we're not. Because if we were in control of our salvation, our destiny, man, we'd be screwed up pretty bad. And instead, what the grace of God compels us to do is to say, this is what I'm holding on to, God. I don't want to let go. And God goes, I have the rest you so desperately are longing for by seeking to control that. And what the grace of God compels us to do 
is to take what we hold so tightly and to go, okay. Because the Bible tells us clearly that God takes the heavy burdens and he carries us through the garbage of this life and that he will renew and refresh our soul. And as we come to terms with that, as we come to understand that grace compels us to rest in the love of God, to release control and trust God, it also forces us to rejoice in the blessings God has given us, even in the valleys. Some of you are in valleys right now. When I took my leave, I... I had not worshipped in probably about 9 to 12 months. Which sounds really bad for a pastor to say. And I remember the first time I was able to worship again. It was Easter Sunday last year. I stood in the back, right back there by the sound booth. And lost it. I just started bawling. I wasn't okay. Life didn't magically get better because I had released and trusted. It didn't get magically better because I said, hey, I'm going to worship and rejoice right now. But I can tell you something that the grace of God did. It overwhelmed me with a sense of hope. Because when we rejoice in the blessings that he's given us, we see that even in the valleys there's hope. There's a way out. And the grace of God compels us to to rest in the love of God, to release control, trust God, to rejoice in the blessings that God has given us, even in the valleys. But it's also compelling us to realize that salvation is not dependent on who you are, what you've done, or what you've accumulated. Society's really good at telling us that's what makes us who we are, right? the title that you have or all the different letters and and periods and commas that come after your name, what type of house you live in, the community you're a part of, the car you drive, the clothes you wear, the grades you get, the college you go to, the friends you have, right? Or even flip down to the negative side, they say you're defined by who you are, what you've done, the mistakes you've made, the record you have, right? And the grace of God compels us to realize that our salvation is not dependent on any of that. It's dependent on grace alone. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's not of works. So no one can boast. It's the gift of Christ to us. Grace compels us to realize that salvation is not dependent on who we are, what we've done, or what we've accumulated but it also compels us to replicate God's grace towards others. God's grace is not just about saying, hey, this is just for you and only you. God's grace is open to all. And what better way to demonstrate that beautiful gift than to live it out for others to partake in and be a part of. The grace of God is an amazing gift, my friends. 
when we understand that the grace of God does not look at us and judge us, when we understand the grace of God is freely given, when we understand that that the grace of God is not about all the things that we have done, will do, have been, or even who we are in the present. When we understand that the grace of God is more than enough because it's all we need, I would assert it's in that moment that we can fully rest. God loves you. And my prayer today is that you know that. My prayer is that you know that God loves you more than you could ever ask or imagine. And what I want to do as we conclude our time this morning is I want to pray for you. In fact, I want to pray the prayer that Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus. I want to pray that over you. And what I also want to do is I want to give everybody an opportunity in this room just to take some time and take some space to think about what this grace means to you. Because some of us in this room maybe need to experience that grace for the first time. And others in this room who have been following Jesus need to let that grace fully wash over you. And to understand it's not dependent on what you do or what metric you hold yourself to. It's dependent on the blood that his son spilt for you. So what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to do something that's probably going to be a little bit strange. I'm going to actually come down here. Because we're a family. We're a body. And so I want to pray over my brothers and my sisters. And so while I'm, while I'm praying, Bob's just going to play softly in the background. We're not going to sing a song. We're not going to ask you to stand or any of that. I'm simply going to ask that everybody just close your eyes right now. I'm just going to ask that as you close your eyes that you just take a moment and you think about the grace that God freely gives to you. God didn't say, I need you to measure up. In fact, we couldn't. That's why it's grace. He knew we couldn't measure up and and we're told that God knew that we wouldn't measure up so he sent his son for us to pay the price we couldn't pay. But not just to pay the price you can't pay. To keep paying it as you think you need to keep trying to earn it because you don't. And God has simply said, It's yours. Will you embrace this grace? If you're here this morning and you've never experienced that grace, it's really easy to do so. All you need to do is say, God, I need you. I need you more than I ever thought I needed you. I know I've messed up. I know I will keep messing up, but your grace is enough. And because of that, when you believe and you confess with your heart and with your mouth, the Bible says that you are forgiven, you are made a part of this family, and that grace washes over you, and that rest becomes real. You don't need to pursue other things. You don't need to try to earn it. That grace has washed over you and you are forever a part of his family. 
And there are others of you here this morning watching online who maybe you've been coming to church, maybe even made a profession of faith just like what we just did. But for some reason, you think you still got to earn it. I've been there. Arguably, I was there last year. But the beautiful thing about grace is you have to do nothing except embrace it. And if that's where you're at right now, I would just encourage you in this moment to say, God, I've been trying to control this. God, I've been trying to manage my life and trying to earn your favor and your grace. And maybe even in that moment, you you have to do what we just did, right? That Bob led us in. You have to like take your hands that have been clenched, whatever you've been holding on to, and just let go. And say, God, I need you more than I ever imagined. I'm sorry. Sorry for trying to do it on my own. And to let God be God. And to let that grace fully embrace you. And to find the rest that God is calling you into. And now I want you to hear these words spoken from the Apostle Paul given to each of us about the grace of God. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. God, I pray that out of your glorious riches, you may strengthen us with your power, through your spirit, in your inner being, God, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, that you may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love, this love surpasses all knowledge so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. According to his power, according to God's power, that is at work within each of us. To God be the glory and in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. God, we praise you that you are greater than. We thank you that your grace is more than enough, that your grace overwhelms, that your grace takes the place of our past, our mistakes, our present, and our future. We are honored that you have called us to yourself. Father, I pray for my brothers and my sisters in this room. I pray, Lord, that we just experience your grace in abundance. May it overwhelm us, transform us, and may it give us the rest and the peace we so desperately seek. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his work, his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory and the honor forever and ever. 
And all God's people said, amen. My friends, I would love to let you know that we are going to have members of our prayer team down here, some of our staff as well. If you'd like to talk to anybody about what we talked about today to have people pray with you, we would love to have the opportunity to do that. As we go now, my encouragement to you would that you would just rest in the grace of God, that you would embrace it and allow for it to overwhelm you. We pray you have a wonderful and blessed week, and we can't wait to see you guys again soon. We'll see you guys next Sunday.